captivity. And yet Jesus, in his ministry, if you go through the Gospels and you look at his ministry, the busier he got in ministry, the more time he set aside in the quiet place with the Father. The busier we're getting, if we're not taking that time to be in the quietness, that quiet place with the Father, we're not receiving the power. We're not receiving the direction. We're not receiving the wisdom, the understanding, the knowing. We've got to take that time to get aside into the quiet place to receive the power. If our focus is so much on doing, being, even in ministry, you can be so consumed with doing things that you miss out in the being quiet. That's this atmosphere that we're in right now. There's so much God can do. And the power. He brought me a couple weeks ago to a quiet place. He's instructed me to take more time in that quiet place. And it's tough on your flesh. (laughs) It's hard on your flesh. I read a study, or heard of a study recently about gadgets technology and how we are so dependent on it you look at kids today they can't stand five minutes without this or without a computer without something to occupy their mind and it's not to be that way that's the ploy of the enemy that's the ploy of the enemy I challenge you this week spend time away from the things away from the doing you know Facebook is great but how many of you spend more than an hour a day on Facebook if you have to total it up an hour a day on Facebook a lot of people a lot of people because why you sit there and you just keep scrolling 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 and you're what are you bringing into you not the good things of God not his power not his presence not his direction But we'll spend how much time on these things? And yet God and his Holy Spirit in us is calling us, come to that quiet place and receive the power. Go back and look at Jesus' ministry. The more he did, the more time he took aside. And the majority of the time after he ministered, he went immediately to that quiet place. That's why he could say, I only do what I see my father do and I only say what I hear him say because he's been in that quiet place and how much more the day and the time that we're living in do we need to hear from heaven do we need to see exactly what God wants us to see and to know and we'll only receive that in the quiet place so I challenge you this week now don't think it's not going to come with with objection from the enemy You know, the more you make a decision to do something, he immediately comes in and goes, oh, yeah, you think you're going to do that? And he tries to stop you. Be persistent. Be persistent. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you find that place, find that time. Even if it's just a 10-minute start, don't say, okay, I'm going to block off an hour. No, 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 no. Start small. Start small. God will honor that. He'll enable you to increase that. But understand the power that we need is in that quiet place. Amen. Amen.
We're going to be in a few different places here in the scripture, Proverbs chapter 1 and 1 Kings chapter 12, for which you can turn to those or look up in the screen. Last week we were looking at, we began looking at self-limitations, and we saw that in the uh, book of Joshua, chapter 1, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, It came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and to the great sea toward The going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage, for to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. And you, that you may observe to do according to all that the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you, do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. We have to make sure that we do as this word has told us, to be strong and very courageous, which he repeated, and that we may observe to do according to all that the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you, to do, don't turn from the right hand, don't turn from the left hand. Basically, those are our boundaries. Stay within this. They just had the book of the law. So in verse 8, it says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. If we want to have that prosperity, if we want to have that success, we've got to do what it said. Too often, we as Christians allow the things of the Word to leave our mouth and to be filled with what other people have said. We speak the words of others instead of the wisdom of God. We allow the wisdom of men to infiltrate our understanding of the Word instead of going in for the deeper meanings of the the things of God. You've heard people that have spoken what they think the Word of God says. How many have ever cringed at something that somebody says the Word of God has And you say, oh my, they may be speaking the word of God, but they have no understanding of it. And what they're speaking has no power. We gave you some self-imposed boundaries or where they come from. The first one area was perceptions, the things that we perceive others think of us. That can sometimes limit. We put limitations. Well, they won't accept this from me. Well, they don't, they won't hear this from me. Well, they're not going to receive this or whatever it might be. We have perceptions. Second one was ignorance. If we don't know that that's our territory, we don't go into it. And so we limit ourselves. If you have a backyard and you don't know that certain sections of that backyard are yours, you're ignorant of it, then the only reason that you're not going there and taking advantage of it is because you don't know. There's many things the Word of God has promised us and told us of. Don't be ignorant of those things. The third was guilt. We spoke about grief, how grief often comes from loss. 
We talked about the loss of a spouse. We talked about the loss of fathers and mothers and sisters and brothers and people that are in our family. How much different the loss of a spouse is because they will generally come one who takes the place of them. But oftentimes, we feel handcuffed. People who have lost a spouse, they feel like, well, I can't, uh, can't have a relationship with another. It's too soon. What will people think? And so we put handcuffs on ourselves for those things. But don't do that. Don't put those things on other people. Don't let guilt begin to put limitations on you. The fourth was self-confidence. If I don't think I can move in this area, if I don't think that God will move with me in this area, I don't do it. And I don't step out. So these, these four areas, there may be some other ones too, but these are four of the big ones. They will cause you to have some limitations in your life that you put on yourself and God did not put on. Unfortunately, we tend to be more uh, attentive to limitations we put on ourselves than the limitations that God has put on us. But let's take a look at book of Proverbs before we go into the book of Kings. It's a good idea to get back into Proverbs every now and then. We haven't been in Proverbs chapter 1 for a little while. Well, so much we can learn from it. Verse 1, the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equality, to give prudence to the simple, to the young man knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase learning, and a man of understanding will attain wise counsel. To understand a problem, a proverb, and an enigma, the words of the wise and the riddles. So these are things, these are actions that wise people will have. First off, they know wisdom and instruction. A wise person will know wisdom and they'll know instruction. They'll receive it. Have you ever worked with somebody and you can't tell them how to do their job? And no one else can tell them how to do their job? And they just wall around in, in uh, not being able to do what they're supposed to be doing. And you think to yourself, you could be doing this so much better if you just would listen to somebody. But they don't listen. And they keep going around the, the way that they're going. But a wise person, they know wisdom, they know instruction, and they receive it. They perceive the words of understanding. They perceive the words of understanding. They, they hear you speak and say, oh, this is a person who has understanding. Remember what they said about Jesus? He doesn't teach us like the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He teaches us as one having authority. Because Jesus had understanding that they didn't have. They perceived that the words that he was spoke speaking were filled with understanding. And the Proverbs tells us they receive instruction, the instruction of wisdom. They receive the instruction of wisdom. Wisdom, you can have wisdom on the inside of you and it can be speaking to you and telling you things to do, but you, no, nah, I'm not going to do that. No, no. And we, re, we reject it. But don't reject it. A wise man will hear and increase learning. And a man of understanding will attain wise counsel. We need to attain wise counsel. We need to step out there and get some counsel from people. Not just, well, I've got, a, I've got everything I need. I know all that I need to know. That's not always how we should be, be walking. In Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. 
Verse 8, My son, hear the instruction of your father, and do not forsake the law of your mother, for they will be a graceful ornament on your head and chains about your neck. Now, another word to put this is your mom and dad put boundaries on you. They put limitations. They said, do this, don't do that. And if you listen to them, this is what it says about them. They will be a graceful ornament on your head and chains about your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. Just know that sinners are going to, they're not going to present themselves and say, hey, I'm a sinner. (laughs) But there are going to be sinners who try to entice you to come along and to do things with them, to go in the wrong direction. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait to shed blood. Let us lurk secretly for the innocent without without um, cause. Let us swallow them alive like Sheol and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all kinds of precious possessions. We shall fill our houses with spoil. Cast in your lot among us. Let us have one per, uh, purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Keep them. Keep your foot from their path. Stay within your boundaries. Stay within the way that wisdom has instructed you. For their feet run to evil. They don't respect any borders. They don't respect any boundaries towards the evil. They just see it. We want it. Let's go get it. Their feet run to evil and they make haste to shed blood. Surely in vain the net is spread in the sight of any bird, but they lie in wait for their own blood. They lurk secretly for their own lives. So are the ways of everyone who is greedy for gain. It takes away the life of its owners. Wisdom calls aloud outside. She raises her voice in the open square. Wisdom is calling aloud. I, we brought this up a couple of weeks ago. I'll just remind you about this this principle. When it says here, wisdom calls aloud out, outside, it raises her voice in the open square. Wisdom is not hidden. The things of God are not hidden. The things that the enemy does are done in secret. They have to get you to do them without other people knowing. They have to get you to, come on, now don't tell so-and-so because they know so-and-so will give you wisdom in this. Don't tell so-and-so about this. Don't, don't go after that. And it's done in secret. The enemy's kingdom is darkness. It cannot survive in the light. But God's kingdom is light. If it's wisdom, you can shout it from the rooftops. And it stands. But darkness, we have to let it take root before it can be exposed to anything. You'll see it even, even now. Sometimes the news media, different ones, they spread lies about a particular thing. And even when the light comes and shines light on that, that subject, people don't believe it because it's taken root. But wisdom calls aloud outside. She raises her voice in the open square. I will make my words known to you. He says, I will make my words known to you. God will know. You, you will know the words of God. He will make them known. Now, you've got to accept them. You've got to receive them and then speak them out. Verse 21. She cries out in the chief concourse. Concourse is at the opening of the gates of the city. She speaks her words. How long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity? For scorners delight in their scorning and fools hate knowledge. 
Turn at my rebuke, surely I will pour out my spirit on you, and I will make my words known to you. Because I have called and you refused, I have stretched out my hand and no one regarded, because you disdained all my counsel and would have none of my rebuke, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your terror comes. And when your terror comes like a storm and your destruction comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would have none of my counsel and despise my every rebuke. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their own way and be filled to the full with their own fancies. For the turning away of the simple will slay them and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me will dwell safely and will be secure without fear of evil. The person who follows after God will learn to love wisdom, crave understanding, and seek it wherever they can get it. And when it comes and that wisdom speaks to them, they listen to it. They heed it. And they go after it. I was reading an article this week that uh, had a very interesting view of uh, the way people, are, uh, children are growing up in, in the world. And it, uh, it said that many of the youth in this country, once they get out of youth group and get out of church, that they don't follow the ways of God. They said that just uh, the survey was just those that had been in youth group for all their lives and had been in church. And I think, if I remember this, the statistic right, over 50% of them were no longer going to church or serving God, reading the Bible, or worshiping the Lord. And what was, a, what was interesting about the article was that they took a, a, an unusual spin on it. This is what actually got my attention to the thing when I was reading it. Their, their spin was that the fault lies with the way America does youth group. And I thought, oh, well, okay, you got my attention. Just tell me what you mean. And so I was reading through it. And what the, and I, I think there's some wisdom to this. He says uh, in this article, they were saying we, we split the children up too much. And what happens is the children have more peers than they have elders. There's no relationship with the elders. The relationship is with the peers. And I thought, wow, that's, uh, <laughs> that's actually wisdom from the Word of God. Now the children are all next door for us right now. But do be careful of this. Do watch this. You as, as the elders, as those who have been walking with God, make sure you have an encouraging relationship with the younger ones. That you speak encouraging words to them. That you... That you don't just get in there and just correct them. No, you get in there and love on them. And build up relationships with them. Build up something that they can hear that wisdom that God has put into you. Because apparently, folks, the relationship with the young to the old is more important than the young to the young. Now we're going to show you a story where all that comes about. In 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 1. 1 Kings 12, verse, verse 1. Let me make sure that I'm, we're in the right spot. Good. And Rehoboam went to Shechem 
For all of Israel had gone to Shechem to make him king. So it happened when Jeroboam, the son of Naboth, heard he was still in Egypt, for he had fled from the presence of King Solomon and had been dwelling in Egypt, that they sent and called him, and Jeroboam, and the whole assembly of Israel came and spoke to Rehoboam, saying, Your father made our yoke heavy. Now therefore lighten the burdensome service of your father and his heavy yoke, which he put on us, and we will serve you. So he said to them, Depart for three days, then come back to me. And the people departed. Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who stood before his father Solomon while he still lived. And he said, How do you advise me to answer this people? these people? Who did he go to? He consulted the elders who stood before his father Solomon. And they spoke to him saying, If you will be a servant to these people today and serve them and answer them and speak good words to them, then they will be your servants forever. Now, when Rehoboam had taken the throne of David, who did he grow up listening to? He grew up listening to the words of Solomon. All the things that Solomon spoke into his life, he had those. It would seem that while this was going on that the the elders did not step out to build a relationship with Rehoboam. Because as soon as he, they spoke this wisdom, he rejected it. Now notice when the people come to, to Rehoboam, they don't complain about the idolatry of Solomon. They don't complain about his many wives and his concubines, and they don't complain about not keeping the commandments of God. All they complained about was the heavy work and the heavy tax burden. They don't care about the things of God. They care about the things of themselves. Now, it's usually good not to answer important matters quickly. It's good to take your time. And Rehoboam does do this. So he sought after the wise counselors first, those that served his father. Now think about this. We're going to go back in 1 Kings to chapter 11 and verse 4. This is speaking about Solomon. You remember Solomon? Before he took the throne, he made a request of God for wisdom. And God said, I'm going to grant it to you. I'm going to grant you more wisdom than anyone's ever had. And beside that, I'm going to do these other things you didn't say. And so he walked in great wisdom, so much so that people came from all over the world to hear the wisdom that he would speak. And they would ask him questions of all kinds of matters. And he had wisdom on those matters. Not just opinions. He had wisdom. And he spoke it and the people said, Wow. Wow. That is, that is wisdom. Hmm. But in 1 Kings 11 verse 4, speaking about the Wisest man on the planet at the time. For it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God as was the heart of his father David. Now this speaks about him after it speaks about the multitudes of wives, 300 wives, 700 concubines. That's a lot. I mean, he's not supposed to be multiplying wives to himself. Just because he's king doesn't mean that he should do it. But he did. 
Now, it didn't happen right away. He married these foreign women and it didn't happen right away, but it happened over time. Why is it that it happened over time that Solomon left his first love in God and went after others? Because what he had in his ear was no longer just the wise counselors that he had around him. He also had the voice of 300 wives, 700 concubines, most all of which were foreign, served other gods. Verse 5 is tragic. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Amorites, Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not fully follow the Lord as did his father David. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, on the hill that is east of Jerusalem. Any idea what the hill to the east of Jerusalem is? I'm told it's the Mount of Olives. On the hill of the Mount of Olives, he built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, on the hill that is east of Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the people of Ammon. And he did likewise with all his foreign wives who burned incense and sacrificed to their gods. So the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned from the Lord God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. And had commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods, but he did not keep what the Lord had commanded him. Now think about this. This man had the Lord appear to him two times. Was granted the wisdom of God above all wisdom the people had. God granted it to him. He wrote some of the most profound wisdom that we have in the book of Proverbs. But he gave himself to not follow after the boundaries that God had set up. Don't multiply wives to yourself. He even went past some other ones as well. He said, don't serve other gods. But you see, he didn't stay within those boundaries. And it didn't happen right off the bat, but it did happen. That once he started to wander, and once these other things began to creep in, the wisest man the man who knew the the ways of God more than anyone, the man who God appeared to two different times, the man who was called to be king of God's people, wandered from God. If we do not understand the principle in the Word of God, that no matter how much of the Word of God you think you know and how wise you think you are, If you bring in evil companions and do not yield to the wisdom of God, you are just as susceptible to falling as Solomon. If Solomon could fall, how much easier is it for you? Has God visited you? Some people may say yes to that, but most of us are going to say no. Has God given you this wisdom that he had? 
Solomon had a great wisdom given to him from God. And still he strayed from the things of God. Disobeyed the, the commands of God and began to worship other idols. To the extent, if you look at the list of idols that he got into, we sometimes think that Israel over time got into the really bad idolatry where they were sacrificing babies. But understand that Solomon brought that in. The man that God gave wisdom because of the influence of his wives and the concubines. He built temples to worship other gods and to sacrifice their babies. Now think about this. When these foreign women came into the land of Israel, they were not killing babies. They didn't have to hear the babies cry as they were put into the altar and the flames came up and burned them. They got free of, of that. And what did they do? They come into the nation of Israel and convince the king to build temples to these same gods and fall under the same oppression that they were in before. Wouldn't you think if you got free of that that you'd be, oh, glory to God, I'm free of this. Oh, I don't have to be under that anymore. But they don't. If you ever wonder why people who come to America from these other countries who have such great oppression going on, we see the great oppression of communism, the great oppression of socialism, the great oppression of Islam and other religions. We see this great oppression. And you wonder, if you come to America and you are free from that, why would you pursue it? And yet they do. And try to convince everyone else that these are the best ways. And though in history, not a single time can you show one communist country that did not oppress religion and those who were Christians and did not kill their people in masses. You cannot find socialistic countries whose poverty is so great that there is not food for their supermarkets. The people are scrounging for food who once flourished. Latest example, of course, is Venezuela. In 10 short years, went from surplus to not enough. And now we even have candidates who will stand up and say, I am a socialist. And people are not appalled. And if you wonder why, it's nothing new. Because even back here, these women got free of the things that this idolatry did and caused them to walk into. And they come to a place that is free. And they bring the same bondage. Walk in the wisdom of God. Don't walk in the wisdom of men. Let's go back to Rehoboam, verse 8. But he rejected the advice which the elders had given him and consulted the young man who had, who had grown up with him, who stood before him. It, it seems to me that if he had a better relationship with the men with the wisdom, they might have accepted it. He might have accepted their wisdom and their counsel. 
And we've seen the stories, you know, the grumpy old men. Get off my lawn. <laughs> All the different things that, that go on. But we're not having that, that kindness that is there. We're not showing that the ways of God are showing the way of love. But a lot of times, the older generation to the younger generation is just spouting off rules and regulations. We didn't do that when I was a kid. We had respect for our elders and all the different things that we, we throw out. No, we got to be careful. We need to have those relationships with the younger people. Make sure that you do. And don't just say, well, this is something I had to do. No, make it genuine. We should, we should generally want to make sure that we, we bridge the gap. Verse 9, And he said to them, What advice do you give? How should we answer this people who have spoken to me, saying, Lighten the yoke which your father put on us? Then the young men who had grown up with him spoke to him, saying, Thus you should speak to this people who have spoken to you, saying, Your father made our yoke heavy, but you make it lighter on us. Thus you shall say to them, My little finger shall be thicker than my father's waist. And now whereas my father put a heavy yoke on you, I will add to your yoke. My father chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scourges. Hmm. Well, he liked this. This appealed to him. He rejected the wise counsel and went after the young men he had grown up with. They said, this is how you should speak to these people. They don't know who you are. You're the king. You can do anything you want. That's right. I can do anything I want. This appealed to him. So he goes on in verse 12. So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam the third day as the king had directed, saying, Come back to me the third day. Then the king answered the people roughly and rejected the advice which the elders had given him. See, it's good to wait before you make a uh, decision, but after you spend three days on it, it helps if you make the right one. And he spoke to them according to the advice of the young man, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. My father chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scourges. So the king did not listen to the people, for the turn of events was from the Lord, that he might fulfill his word, which the Lord had spoken by Ahijah, the Shilonite, to Jeroboam, the son of Naboth. Now who, who would want to, in our, in our country, who would want to vote for somebody in theirs, who would want to serve under a king who says, you had to pay 30% taxes before, I'm going to make it 40. If you had a hard time living off of what you were living off before, you're going to have less of it. If you don't like the workload that you were put on before, I'm going to increase it. Now, if you want, if we spent the time and went all the way back through Solomon, Solomon got some slave labor, but he also had some of the children of Israel and they would rotate in on a month basis. So you would... If you had the assignment for this month, then you would leave your job 
and you would go work for the king. Build him whatever it was he was building. Now his projects, his building projects was he had a big house that he built. Took years to build. He had the temple. Took years to build. He built houses for his wives. Then he built temples for the wives. That is a lot of building projects. It costs a lot of money because he didn't go out there anything cheap. Things were, were with gold and silver and beautiful things, beautiful stones, cedar for wood. He did this with his house. He did this for the temple. More than likely, he kept it going for the wives and their houses. And he kept it going for the temples that he built for them. So can you imagine, in the course of one king's reign, that you had to build the temple, build his mansion, build the houses for all his... For all, it wasn't for all of his wives. He didn't build one house for each wife. There was the main wife. And then there was another house for some of the other wives and another house for some of the concubines. But these are, this is a lot of people. It's got to be a big house. And they built them. Now, can you imagine? Just think about this. Put it, put it in perspective. If every month in a course of a year, you had to quit your job for the month. If you had your own business, you had to shutter it and go to work for the king for no money at all. You just volunteered your service. Beside that, they would tax you a great amount to pay for all the stuff they were building. Now the temple was financed because of David. David had gone out, he had conquered other countries, and he took their silver and their gold, and he put it in the storehouse for the house of God. So that was paid for. But Solomon's house, he didn't pay for that. The wife's house, the wife's temples, he didn't pay for that. Any remodeling that he wanted to do, he didn't pay for that. So the people had to come up with that. So you've got to work one month out of the year for the king. You've got 11 months to work for yourself. And now a good percentage of that is going to the king. I don't know what the percentage was. It never told us one, And I never found anything on it. Can you feel the, the oppression from that? And a new king is coming in. Hopefully he won't have all these building projects. Hopefully we can just kind of rest on this for a little bit. And they came and says, look, it's been really hard paying these high taxes and coming to work for you for a month. Uh, we'd like to stop doing that. And the wise counselor said, if you will do this, if you will give in to the people, they will serve you forever. But he rejected it. Nah, I don't, I don't like that. See, it doesn't appeal to his flesh. I don't like that. Let me go find out what my buddies say. Who have no track record. And have demonstrated no wisdom. At all. Verse 15 again, So the king did not listen to the people, for the turn of events was from the Lord, that he might fulfill his word, which he, the Lord had spoken by Ahijah, 
the Shilonite, to Jeroboam, the son of Naboth. Now when all Israel saw that the king did not listen to them, the people answered the king, saying, What share, what share have we in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. To your tents, O Israel. Now see to your own house, O David. So Israel departed. Uh, Israel departed to their tents. Now they called him the Shechem. If you, if we spend time on this and we've gone through these, this section of scripture before we've, we've shown it to you, I'm just going to state it to you. You can go and check it out yourself. But all through Israel's history, you will see that there is a division that is building between the northern tribes and the southern tribe. When they call him the Shechem, they call him to a northern tribe. They call him from the south. They don't go down to him. You come up to us. Now what king goes to them instead of having them come to him? So he already realizes he's in trouble. Otherwise he doesn't go. He says, no, come on down here. We'll, we'll talk about things. They said, no, you come on up here to check him. And so he goes. And then for some reason he thinks that in the midst of this, this strife between the countries, between the northern tribes and the southern tribes, that he's going to be tough. And he's going to say, ah, my father was nothing. I'm way tougher than he was. He wasn't. But he wants to say that. Verse 17, But Rehoboam reigned over the children of Israel who dwelt in the cities of Judah. Then King Rehoboam sent Adoram, who was in charge of the revenue, but all Israel stoned him with stones and he died. Therefore, King Rehoboam mounted his chariot in haste to flee to Jerusalem. So Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. So after all this, Rehoboam says, you know what? We need to get their taxes. Before we make this uh, break complete, I need some money. And so he sends the, the IRS out there. The head of the IRS goes out. And says, hey, I'm here to collect your money. And they said, yeah, collect this. <laughs> and they, they threw stones at him and stoned him until he was dead. So then Rehoboam gets the idea, these people are mad. You can see he does not walk in the, in the wisdom that his father did. And Israel has been in rebellion to this day, it says. Now, Look at the counsel that the, the, the wise counselors of Solomon gave him. If you will give in to their desires, if you'll just say that you'll soften the load, they didn't ask to eliminate it. They asked to lessen it. If you could back off on that, these people will serve you forever. And then the counsel of the friends no, my, my dad did whips. I'm going to use scorpions. You think it was bad before? You haven't met Rehoboam. Look at some of the things that are written in the Word of God. These are things that they would have had at their disposal. In Proverbs 15, verse 1, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. 
what did Rehoboam do? He rejected the soft answer and picked the harsh word. It went directly against what his father had spoken to him. Directly against it. And he thought he would prosper. One other proverb. And there's other places in the Word of God you can go. We're just going with what he would have had available to him. Proverbs 12, verse 18. There is one who speaks like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise promotes health. When he spoke the words of the young men, how would you classify that from this verse? It'd be like the piercing of a sword, wouldn't it? Not the tongue of the wise that promotes health. If you listen to the counsel of the wise men that served Solomon, didn't it sound like counsel that would preserve health? Health for the people and health for him. But he didn't go after it. He went after something else. Now, despite the fact that Rehoboam followed bad counsel and the children of Israel picked a man that God had called to be king, was it a good direction for them to go? Was the direction that Israel went to separate from Judah, was it a good direction for them? Well, there were times that the nation in the north was more prosperous than the nation in the south. There were times that the nation in the north had more strength than the one in the south. There were times they came together to battle and the nation in the north won. But never does the nation of the north, Israel, never do they have a king who serves God. Never do they as a nation serve God as a whole. In fact, it got so bad under Jeroboam that many of the people picked up and left their inheritance to go down to the south and live where they have no inheritance. They left the inheritance that God told them to honor and to cherish because it was so bad in the north. Because they wanted to serve God. And in the north they couldn't do it. Probably tried for a while to hang on to what they had. But they eventually gave up. And the word of God tells us that many of the, many of the nations in the north, many of the tribes went from the north and traveled to the south and lived in Judah. Because at least they served God for a while. Despite all the idolatry that Solomon had brought in, there was still some worship of the Lord that was there. It's not till Josiah comes along that all the idolatry of Solomon is removed and the temples that he built were destroyed. That's a long time. That's, I think it's around 400 years. Now I put this in your outline for you. Foolishness and its ways appeal to our flesh and pride. Foolishness and its ways appeals to our flesh and pride. It is usually something we already want to do with a what I should do mask. Ever heard people do this? Well, I think what I should do. I'll give you an example. You're on a new diet. And you are out with people who know you're on a diet. And you say, well, what I should do 
is have dessert. Because I know I won't have any more dessert for a long time. Right? Why are you saying that? Because my flesh wants to have dessert. But these people know I'm not supposed to be doing that right now because I know I'm on this diet. So I'll give a, well, it's what I should do. I'll sacrifice. You know, I really don't want to have this dessert. But I'm going to go ahead and have it because I think it's better for me overall. If I'm going to stay on this diet, if I have this dessert now. Right? How many times do we do that? The enemy comes and he feeds us a plan that feeds to our flesh. But when we get in front of other people, we got to mask it. Because we cannot bring that wisdom into the light. Because it will not, it won't hold. It'll be exposed. So we have to cover it up. We got to put a mask on it. So that's what we, we sometimes will do. We'll put a, one of these, what I should do, masks over it. When you had the, uh, you got a separation here of the north from the south. Remember the separation? We, I think we're not sure we talked about it on Wednesday. We talked about it on, on Sunday. But uh, Abraham with his nephew. Lot. Separation. What was the best thing for Lot? Staying with Abraham. That's the best thing for him. He was prospering. He was succeeding. But he decided, well, what I should do and to avoid strife is I'll go over here to uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. And I'm going to hang out there. And that didn't go so well for him, did it? But you see, the devil's going to throw at you what you should do. Because to take what God has said and to stay with it takes endurance, strength, and wisdom. And most of, most of the time, we are short on supply in those areas. I'd rather just give in. I'd rather just not do it. No, I don't need to think what I should do. Boy, I'll tell you what. Flesh and pride have a way of rising up on the inside of us. And we even convince ourselves that the best thing for me to do is to separate just like Lot did. You see, Lot got separated from Abraham. And then he got separated from the ways of God. And he may have, when we were talking about this, I guess it was Wednesday. He may have said, they won't corrupt me. They won't corrupt me. It was Wednesday. We were talking about Moab and Abba, Haman, the descendants. They won't corrupt me. But he didn't think about what would happen to his family. And though it seemed like Lot did keep the corruption from coming to him. Remember the people when they came to the door for the angels? They speak to him like one who was preaching the word of God to them. And they felt under condemnation with him. He had maintained that. But the evil had gotten into his daughters. And they did some things so that Moab and Ammon became nations and were a thorn in the flesh for Israel. They came against them. They attacked them. They did all manner of things, evil things against them. And here they even sent their gods these foreign gods that they had drummed up. 
into the land through Solomon. Oh, just, you got to know how to, how to pick out pride and foolishness. Got to learn how to pick it out. Because the enemy knows how to mask it. And he knows how to sell it to you. And he knows how to sell you separation. And he knows how to sell you that don't follow the things of God. Don't stay with the things of God. You don't need other people. You don't need other counselors. You don't need other things to go on. And most times the Christians make decisions like Rehoboam was making here. They don't find wise counsel. In fact, many don't even know where to get it. They just decide for themselves. We become our own, our own wisdom. <laughs> Foolishness in its ways appeals to our flesh and pride. But if you resist it, you won't fall in that way. Solomon, in all his wisdom, somehow thought it was a good idea to have 300 wives. And then add 700 others who aren't even wives into the mix. And then put a whole mess of them all in the same house. Can you see any good coming out of that? Staying with what, what God has told you to do. It takes strength. It takes endurance. It takes resistance to temptation and rebellion. But in the end, it pays great dividends. It does good things for you. But you've got to recognize foolishness and recognize wisdom. You've got to compare what people say to what the Word of God has said. As much as foolishness appeals to our flesh and pride, wisdom appeals to our spirit. It's what our inner man wants to do despite how others will view it. See, your inner man knows the right thing to do. No, no, this is the right thing to do. Oh, but it's going to be tough to do that. It's going to be hard to make that stand. But wisdom is telling you, do it. Do it. Go after it. Wisdom appeals to our spirit. It appeals to your spirit man. If you build up your spirit man, you'll receive these things. And we will be talking about some principles to help you in this, this area because a lot of people cannot differentiate between the spirit and flesh. And what sounds good to their flesh is misinterpreted as sounding good to their spirit. Go right on back to Lot. Who do you think where do you think Lot had the appeal? Remember the word of God says, and Lot looked out and he saw the lush green grass of the plains. What did that appeal to? But he's looking at it as something spiritual. Oh, God can lead me out there and I will have all of this for my flocks. And they will grow and they will become abundant. And he foresaw great things happening for the business of Lot. And the next time we come up to him, he's got a house in the city and no livestock. And he leaves that house in the city with nothing. That's how, 
That's how deceptive the flesh can be. To take a man like Lot, who had walked with God all these years with Abraham, heard the wisdom of Abraham, seen the things that God did in the life of Abraham. And I'm sure God had done some things in the life of Lot too. But he walked away from it. Wisdom will appear to your spirit. But you're in a man, he's the one who's going to He's going to want to do it. Seeds of dissatisfaction nurtured will result in rebellion. When we take the seeds of dissatisfaction and nurture them, they will result in rebellion. You don't need me to give you cases in the Word of God, but I'm going to give you some anyway. When did Israel get in trouble with rebellion with the Lord? Dissatisfaction, no water. Dissatisfaction, no food. Dissatisfaction, we don't like this wilderness. Dissatisfaction, no meat. Dissatisfaction, there's an army behind us. Dissatisfaction, we're not doing the things we want to do. And the people who were judged in that, dissatisfaction with how they were judged. Dissatisfaction with Moses. Dissatisfaction with who God was. Dissatisfaction with where they are and constantly look back to where they came from. Let's get a leader to lead us back to Egypt because there we had all the leeks and onions that we wanted. I've told you that before, but if I'm looking back on a place, leeks and onions are not my draw. That's, that's not pulling me in. Would that pull you guys in? Leeks and onions? Man. When, when they were dissatisfied, when they didn't have any food, and God gave them manna, and rained manna down from heaven. Every single day except the Sabbath day, manna came down from heaven. What happened to the children of Israel? Got dissatisfied with the manna. Dissatisfaction, nurtured, results in rebellion. And the devil knows this. Now, this is what he does. He begins to get you dissatisfied. He'll get you dissatisfied with your job. Dissatisfied with your spouse. Dissatisfied with your kids. Dissatisfied with your house. Dissatisfied with your neighbor. Dissatisfied with your car. You can get you dissatisfied with your dog if you got one. <laughs> because he knows if he sows the seeds of dissatisfaction that they will multiply and the end result will be rebellion. Because in the Word of God, every time that there has been rebellion, you can trace it back to somewhere dissatisfaction. Now, that's your homework. You can go back this week and you can start reading the Word of God. I want you to read all the times that dissatisfaction came before rebellion. Now, here's something else. Try and find this one. I want you to go through the Word of God. You can start today, start in the book of Genesis. Get through uh, Revelation by by Saturday. (laughs) I want you to find a time... When dissatisfaction 
produced advancement in the kingdom of God. Seeds of dissatisfaction nurtured result in rebellion. We become enlightened to principles we don't perceive as false. See, when you get into this rebellion that comes from dissatisfaction, you will become, and I put it, I put it in quotes, enlightened to principles we don't perceive as false. See, because once you follow dissatisfaction and you begin to rebel against the things that God has said, Steve, stay here. Operate within this area. Once I become dissatisfied and I step out and I go beyond those things, suddenly I will have enlightenment that if I was walking right, I would say that's false. But I'm not walking right. And so the enemy can bring light. Do you see this? <gasps> I do. Now I'm going to give you a New Testament example. After Jesus, who would you consider to be the greatest teacher in the, in the New Testament? I would consider Paul to be the greatest teacher in the, in the New Testament. After Jesus. Paul had some students, didn't he? And do you remember what he wrote about some of those students who sat under the teaching of Paul? Saw the example of Paul. Saw the miracles God did through the hands of Paul. They saw all this. Somehow, dissatisfaction was brewed inside of them. They began to fan it to a flame. And once they did that, and they walked outside of where they were supposed to be, the enemy came in and gave them light. Do you remember some people that he's mentioned by name? Hermaeus and Philetus of these sort who overthrow the faith of some. And then he goes on and lists some of the things that they taught. Where did they get that light from? They didn't get it from Paul. You see... Dissatisfaction breeds rebellion, breeds light that is not God's light, and gets me to walk after the wrong way. Can you think of our modern day how many people in the Word of God has stepped beyond the boundaries of the Word of God to, to teach things that are not right? How many people have gotten themselves ready because the Lord is coming on such and such a date? I mean, one group believed that a flying saucer was coming in the form of a comet. Do you remember the, the comet that was coming? And when it came on by, they were all getting ready. In fact, I believe some of them believed that if we die, when it's close by, we will be transported to the, and carried off. Can you see the deception in that? But they couldn't. Imagine that. Because you become dissatisfied with the truth, dissatisfied with the things God's put in your life, which reads, breeds rebellion, which causes me to get outside of my borders that God had said, stay here, operate within here. And I don't do it. 
And then once I get outside there, revelation comes to me. Like some people who want to get out there and say, well, Christ died for all. That means all are saved. Where did they get that light from? They didn't get it from the Word of God, did they? Well, there's any, any way that you want to get to God is good. Except Jesus said, I am the light. I am the way. There's no other way to get to the Father except through me. That sounds pretty narrow-minded to me. If you know the ways the enemy works, you won't fall prey. But how many of you all know that Solomon knew the ways the enemy worked? And he fell prey because he, he backed off from it. I'm not satisfied with one wife. I need two. Well, now I'm not satisfied with two. I need three. I need four. I need five. I mean, when do you cut them off? Well, I'm not satisfied with one temple. I want to build another one. I'm not satisfied with two temples. I want to build another one. Pretty soon he's rebelling against the very things of God. And even to the point that Solomon oppressed some of the people. The enemy's goal, folks, is to get you off the will of God any way that he can. Off the divine path and go against the thing God has told you to do. Step outside the boundaries God has called us to stay within. He doesn't care where you go as long as it's away. That's all he cares about. If you're supposed to be walking along this path and doing these things and he says, come on over here to this side and you don't, you go over here to this side, is he happy? No. Absolutely. You got off the way. I'm no longer on the way. I went to the, if he says, go to the right side, I said, I'm not going to the right side. I'm going to the left side. Is he happy? God says, don't turn from the right side or to the left side. Stay straight. There's the words of Joshua. The enemy's goal is to get you off of the will of God any way he can. He'll get you to stop doing what you're supposed to be doing. He'll get you to veer out in areas where you're not supposed to go. Could Adam and Eve have been satisfied with all the fruit trees of the garden? But no, they decided what? We are dissatisfied. With the thousands of fruit trees that are here at our disposal. Because we can't have that one. Dissatisfaction breeds rebellion. And they step outside of their borders. And pretty soon, what they had is gone. This is the enemy's ultimate goal. He wants to get what you have, what God has blessed you with, what God has given you, he wants to get it gone. He doesn't care how he does it. He just doesn't want you to have it anymore. Whatever blessings God has given you, he wants them out of your life. He's going to lead you any way that he can to go to the right hand or to the left hand. But the word of God says to Joshua, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth but you shall meditate upon it 
to be careful to do all that is written therein. For then you will make your way prosperous. And then you will have good success. When Rehoboam came to the point of decision in Shechem, when he approached the people, and he spoke to them, he says, My father used whips. I'm going to use scorpions. Did he leave speaking the words of God? And that's why he wasn't successful. That's why he didn't prosper. And here's just one, uh, one incident under the life of Rehoboam. Solomon had made 300 shields of pure gold. These are not for fighting. They were for show. And they would bring out these 300 shields of pure gold. They would hold them in such a way that they would reflect and just, wow. People would see this. This is awesome. But Rehoboam and his rebellion lost them. They were given to an enemy. And so in order to try and keep things looking good, he got some brass. And he made 300 shields out of brass. Brass doesn't shine quite like gold does. But it looked kind of similar. See, we haven't lost anything. We still got our 300 gold-looking shields. But all the time the enemy is saying, I got what you had. Don't give up what you have. Hang on to the things of wisdom. And know that that voice of wisdom is going to speak up on the inside of you. But your voice of the flesh is going to speak up too. We'll be looking at some things, how to discern all, all those voices so that you can always follow the way of wisdom and the way of God. some of the borders that we put on ourselves they're not good they keep us from the things of God and God doesn't want us to have to go that way would you all stand up with me glory to God Father we thank you that your word gives us wisdom there is no situation that we are in in life in which your wisdom does not come to us just as you spoke to Joshua and told him how to way, make his way successful. Oh, if only the, the kings of Israel would have listened to those words. If only they would have followed. If only they didn't let the enemy lead them in the wrong place. For his purpose in leading them there was to take all that they had. But Father, you deserve, you, you desire that we preserve all the things that you have blessed us with. And I thank you that we will follow after the way of wisdom. We will not follow after the way of foolishness. But you have put down on the inside of us a new man. And that new man can recognize wisdom from God and foolishness from the enemy. For we know that the ways of the enemy is to separate us from the blessings of God. And he'll do that by getting us to overextend and go beyond our borders. Just as he did with those priests who said we're not satisfied with doing the duties that we have been given, but we want to go beyond our duties. 
in the areas we're not called into. We know what happens when they were on the field with their incense. But Father, there's great satisfaction in walking in the things that you've given us. And I thank you for it. I thank you for the, the joy that we have in you. And the Father, the borders that you have given us to operate in. These are not forever borders. These are just borders that we are to operate in today. And we show ourselves trustworthy. And we can say, hey, you told me to stay here, 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 and here. And I've gone all throughout the land that you have given me. And every place that my foot stood on, it is mine. That's what you wanted from Israel. That's what you want from us. That you have given us territory. You've given us places. We're not walking in at all. We're not laying hands on the sick where we are. We're not giving the wisdom of God, speaking up about the things of God where we can. We're not seeing the people that are within the realm of where we can minister as our inheritance. And yet we come to you in prayer and say, Father God, I want a ministry. I want something to do. Father, I thank you for the wisdom that you have. I thank you for the way that you have instructed us within that wisdom. And where we are, Father, we are able to serve you. I thank you for it. Larry, head bowed. No one looking around. If you're here today and you say, I want God to show me within my borders, within my territory, within the scope of where I'm at, what I can do for Him that I'm not doing now. Raise your hand. Glory to God. Father God, you see the hands that are raised. We can become so used to the territory that we're in that we forget, don't see the things of God that are available to us. Father, there's things that are to our right and to our left that are here for us to to do for you. Some of the people that we work with that we have a despising for. It's only because those people are hurting and we have light for them. Some of the people we think are against us are actually just afraid of us. Father, I thank you that you will help us to move in all that you planned us to move into, to do all that you envisioned us doing in the places where we work, in the neighborhoods where we live, in the families that we have. And I thank you for it. Give you the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Marguerite.